Hey everybody, it's Eric Torenberg, co-founder, partner of Village Global, a network-driven venture firm. And this is Venture Stories, a podcast covering topics relating to tech and business with world-leading experts. Uh, hey everybody, welcome to uh, another On Deck Fellowship event. I uh, want to uh, just uh, echo a huge thanks to to Min uh, for being so supportive from us from uh, from the beginning, uh, and as well as the the rest of the Bloomberg Beta team. Uh, when you are uh, when you are fundraising, do do go talk to them, or, or even before they're fantastic uh, people and fantastic partners, and and um, yeah, we're we're lucky to have them. Um, and we are lucky today to have a good friend of mine uh, and long term uh, long time friend and collaborator, uh, Andreas Klinger. Uh, former founding team at, at Product Hunt, uh, now at AngelList, and now running uh, Remote First Capital. Um, Andreas, welcome to uh, On Deck Fellowship, and welcome to the welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So I thought um, we'd get started by why don't you just quickly set the context for sort of this rise of of, of remote. Now, now Product Hunt was was remote. I think every team you, you've worked on has been remote, so this is pretty organic to you. But what what sort of what are in the last like five years, ten years? Explain how the rise of remote really happened. What, what were the factors that led to it, and where yeah. are we right now in so, that trend? Or is it peak remote? Is it just starting, et cetera? So I, I strongly believe we're kind of like still generation one when it comes to this kind of stuff. Uh, we notice it right now a lot in San Francisco because in San Francisco we reached this tipping point. Like a few years ago, it was kind of like you have to have everybody in San Francisco hire everybody here. And then at some point it was like, yeah, you remote works for some people, but most likely not for you. And now we're at this point where it's almost like a danger to the company if you hire all your engineers here, because it's like very high costs, hard to get, and very low retention. So it's almost like a risk factor by now. And I think what we notice now, it's not so much that remote work is in any sense like new, it's just like we reached this tipping point where even VCs in San Francisco start to recommend it. Yeah. I remember, you remember back then when we raised from Anderson Horowitz? Yep. A friend of mine who was also like a VC told me back then, so you finally raised a ton of money, so you can finally get an office, fly everybody here, and be get everybody company. here and become a real company. Yep. And we literally just raised from Andrews and Horvitz at that point. I was like, okay, that, that hurts. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the same guy is now tweeting about remote work on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> so I think this is the tipping point we actually noticed. Yeah, you have a photo with him with like a bullseye. Uh, <laughs> and uh, you won. Um, so... Um, the okay, so and why did VC start to see it? Like what what uh because it is part of sort of the Silicon Valley cultural immune system, you know. <laughs> uh, Keith Roy has like you know, companies a cult and cults need to be built at the office. Yeah, I think in, in San Francisco everything is impossible until it's completely normal, mm -hmm. and this is like always true. And it's yeah. kind of like everybody, like especially VCs, kind of follow patterns and trends. Yeah. To the to the point that they say, every marker in your company is perfect unless outside of this one thing that your whole team is distributed. Yeah. And that's literally what they said to GitLab at Series A, like mm -hmm. multiple VCs here in the, yeah. in the Bay Area. And the only VC that actually accepted in the end was convinced because they have this like huge manual online and okay, maybe they know what they're doing, yeah. you know? So I think this is kind of like this tipping point. And the, I think the, the two factors that came here to play in San Francisco at least is obvious costs, like cost of housing and just like by that indirectly cost of employment and everything. And the other factor is that more and more examples of companies actually that succeeded. And right. as soon as you have like a, a, 
a new data point, it's a new pattern that people can follow. So you have like, for example, GitHub who's like 50% remote roughly, you have like GitLab is fully remote, Zapier and so on and so on, like becoming actually big companies and not just by accident, yep. but by good execution. Yep. And technologies enabling remote became easier, uh, you know, Zoom. Sure, like. yeah, yeah. Like, uh, Technology kind of has like this constant incremental improvement. Yeah. Like now we have Zoom and Slack, but before had we had like Skype and HipMock, uh, HipChat. Yeah. You know, it wasn't that it's like completely fundamental zero to one shift. Yeah. It's just like now it's a little bit better. Slack is good enough that not only nerd engineers want to use it, but like actually kind of everybody right. wants to use it. Zoom is good enough that you can do a call with more than ten people without like hating life. Yeah. Um, and that's like this tipping point that enables stuff a yeah. little bit more, you know. Totally. But I think the main, the main contributing factor is just that more and more people grew up with this and it became just more normal for more people. So more people just started doing it, creating data points that people saw as pattern. Yeah. I know people that have never freelanced and have never worked in an office. They have worked uh, fully remote since the end of the university for the last, I think, five, six years in a few cases. Like they have their whole career already remote yep. in normal companies. Yep. So this is kind of where we're at now. Totally. Um, and by the way, one quick other thing in the cultural immune system is that this is unrelated to remote, but it's just commercial for on deck. Is that um, commercial uh, break? <laughs> Welcome to this podcast. <laughs> is that um, there's been this lore that you have to know your founder for a long time, like I've worked with them or gone to college with them or whatever it is, and hopefully you know on deck fellowship and, and others are proving that you can founder date uh, and meet, meet in different kinds of ways, in the same way that you know Tinder proved you can meet people on the internet. Yeah, on deck is just like Tinder. Uh, <laughs> good, good commercial break. <laughs> okay, uh, so back to what we were talking about. The um, okay, so remote. So GitLab, GitHub, etc. Talk more about sort of second and third uh, order trends that are going to emerge from remote. So we have this notion that remote work is kind of a startup thing, which in re it's not really true. So um, what's happening right now is that more and more large companies are actually moving their administration uh, or like operations remote. And the problem with the term remote, it's a little bit loaded. Like a lot of people assume it means outsourcing or it means freelancing or it means working from home. And none of this, none of that actually necessarily needs to be true, you know? Um, and we have like right now the trend that a lot of other, like, like administration becomes like a kind of a go-to remote thing. And in healthcare, you have more and more roles that are full, done fully remote, especially in rural areas. If you nowadays go to a uh, hospital it's, and you do an x-ray, it's very unlikely that the person in the hospital will actually look at your x-ray. It will be sent online to somebody else in somewhere completely different region and done there. And this is becoming more and more normal. So like the question that I kind of ask with my fund is, with more and more people work remote, what kind of opportunities exist because of that? Like how does a rural area change? Like how do small towns change? Um, Rule, like remote can be really good for rural areas, for example. Like you don't yeah. necessarily need to move to the next city to have a good job. You can like stay there and like drive in once every month yeah. to your to your coworker. So kind of like this whole concept of local remote is kind of a big thing in, in the rural areas. But how does this actually affect the local area? Like is there, like for example, community spaces, coffee shops. Like right now, coffee shops are actively trying to kick out uh, remote workers yeah. because they are sitting there and taking a desk. Because the business model is to get somebody in and kick them out. And the next generation of coffee shops uh, will be not ground floor or main street, but it will be like side, like side street, fourth floor in a rundown building, but like looking really nice internally and you pay a membership fee. Right. And this kind of stuff will happen because of uh, remote work becoming a normal thing. The other second degree effects that you have is that you have the concept of global work. 
So you have regions like Latin America, Africa, uh, Eastern Europe, even Europe, uh, flyover states America, uh, Asia, and so on and so on, where the salary of senior engineers adapts because there's a global demand for that engineer. And that's mm -hmm. also true for other specialized skills in the long run. So the question is like, how does this affect the area there? Like how does this change the whole setup in that region? You know? yeah. So there's a lot of like positive, maybe some questionable, potentially negative in the long run. A lot of different effects in second degrees around remote work. And one of the things I want to do in the fund is like kind of invest or figure out what these second degrees effects could be. Yeah. And I don't have a good answer yet. Right. And invest in those ideally. One of the things that you mentioned is, is it could be a boon for rural areas. Yeah, absolutely. And, and startups that's emerging out of there? Um, so one, one thing that a lot of rural areas are trying to do is becoming the next Silicon Valley. And it's kind of hard to be the next Silicon Valley if literally every of other city also tries to be the next Silicon Valley and you're playing somebody else's game. And what's kind of fascinating is that there are a few regions, uh, most notably, for example, Tulsa and Oklahoma, that just say, what if we invent our own game? And they go, basically, they have a concept which is called Tulsa Remote. So if you move to Tulsa, they give you 10K for the moving costs. They help you finding a house. They, they, they give you, basically, they, they help you getting a low rate credit at the local bank. And they help you, if you already have a job, great. And if not, they help you finding like a good remote job. So the whole concept that they're actually trying to do is they try to attract, uh, I would say, tech workers with a high salary, ideally. Yeah. But it that doesn't really have to be tech, but like remote workers to this area to revitalize the whole region. Yeah. to bring new jobs into this region, bring new, completely new concept in this region, and so on and so on. And they are actively trying out this kind of stuff, like how could community spaces look like if everybody works totally. like regularly from home? Yeah. I want to, in a minute, I want to talk about what sort of startups will be enabled yeah, yeah. Um, it, because of remote. Uh, but for, first, I'm curious to ask the inverse, which is a bet on remote is a bet against what? Is it a bet against? Uh, Polar polarization regionals. Yeah. Like there's no point in, like I honestly believe that Silicon Valley very soon will be founders and bankers mm -hmm. and everybody else will be somewhere else. And there's no point, like maybe like a few older tech companies that will be still here. So like the same way as we still have, I don't know, what's it? I, I, I don't know which companies sponsor your podcast. I don't want to offend <laughs> anybody. <laughs> no, no one's sponsored. Okay, cool. But like there's a lot of older tech companies here as well. And like Google will most likely stay here. Facebook will most likely stay here. But like the next generation most likely won't build like huge offices here. So realistically, they either will have multiple offices in different regions, or they will have like everybody fully distributed. Yeah. The, the founder might still stay, be, stay here. The bankers, like yeah. sorry, the VCs, will still stay here. <laughs> you know? Yeah, um, uh, you know, what's the saying? Live long enough to, um, you know, <laughs> start, <laughs> Andres is VCA. I'm botching the quote, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so basically you're saying I'm a villain. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, um, so what about transportation? Um, so there's like this whole argument that you need, like it's good for the environment and all and, and yada yada and all this kind of stuff. Sure, um, I, I I fully agree. I, I personally I see it as an uh, right now. Uh, I think doing a team remote is an unfair advantage that you should leverage. And if you're a startup, you need to grab every unfair advantage you can grab. And being able to hire better people at, at fair prices i'm not saying like lower price but at least right. fair prices and having people who actually are like on the long run with you yeah. is a completely unfair advantage in san francisco the average retention of like people is around 16 months which is like i would say onboarding plus a few yeah. weeks <laughs> <laughs> and then again you have to pay a recruiter like 30 percent of the salary so you basically constantly only you overpay people's salary because they live so expensive you also have like a 30 percent 
add-on on that right. additionally. So hiring here is like almost like borderline. So it's, it's a labor arbitrage mostly. I wouldn't even call it labor arbitrage. I think just like San Francisco right now is completely polarized and disproportionately expensive yep. to anything else. Yeah. So it, it's like there's a global market for talent and that's not cheap. Like it's a common misconception that you get like a highly experienced uh, engineer cheap. No, there's other companies trying to hire this person. So there's a market. And as soon as there's a market, the price go up. Uh, I was in, in, in sort of a group conversation with um, Sid from GitLab mm -hmm. talking about sort of the um, merits of, of all remote. Yes. And then uh, Eric Schmidt, who said uh, basically you can from Google, who said, uh, I think you can, you can only be <laughs> all remote or no remote, that not, nothing in, in between works. What, what do you think about that? Um, so most of the problems you have with remote is because some group in the company works on one communication layer and some group of the, in the company works on a different communication layer. And not necessarily one is better than the other. It's just if you're next to somebody, easy, talking is easy in the sense of like achievable, like close by. Um, and writing something down is kind of complicated in the sense of like high burden, like you have to get over something. If you are in a remote team, writing something down is super easy and like talking to somebody is super exhausting. So it's not that one is better, it's just that it's on a different layer. So mm -hmm. if you have, um, you're not very con conscious about this, I would say, bridge between the layers, you, have a, you will have a problem. So naturally, it's just easier if by default everybody is remote. But I strongly believe uh, hybrid setup works. If you have what's considered like a remote first setup, yeah. uh, a good hack to do that or enable that is saying you do a small subset of your team, uh, fully remote in a way. Like these people work, there's a critical amount of people in that group that works remote. So yeah. the whole team has to act like they are remote. That can in the beginning be your mobile team, your infrastructure team, whatever, right? Yeah. Or like your engineering team in a smaller startup, right? And then you basically bring the patterns that work to the rest of the company and you make a conscious decision. Either you want to like take the rest of the company also remote or not. But in reality, it's it's something you need to be very careful about. Like it's basically yeah. management skill you have and to so learn. And so what Stripe just did, which is announced a total remote office, but they already have their existing offices. Is that sustainable or a path that you recommend for folks? It works, yeah. I, 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 there's like a common misconception that it's not possible to do hybrid teams. You just need to be very aware about where the boundaries between the different communication layers are, and you need to work in at least those sub-teams remote first. Cool. Okay, let's put on our sort of, um, you know, investor hat or evaluating markets hat. Um, we have, you know, 50 or 60 folks here who are thinking about starting their next company. A bunch yeah. of them are curious about what companies can be built uh, or enabled or are or, or likely to be bigger because of remote. Um, why don't you, you're investing in the space, you have, you have ideas that you want to see people build. Yeah, yeah. Why don't you first just sort of map out the different types of subspaces or, or companies that you think can be built because of remote or are stronger because of remote, and then we'll get into each space individually. Cool. So I just drop ideas and you start working on them. <laughs> just like how we do this. <laughs> yes, and make sure you let Andreas invest in them. Yeah. Um, um, or even just categories. Yeah. Like, um, so remote itself is like a weird niche to think about as a, as a target, right? Because if you think about remote as a niche, you will end up with communication tools and maybe like payroll and benefits and this kind of stuff, you know, maybe global healthcare, like anything that comes out of the fact that you have a global team. Insurance. Insurance, like this kind of stuff, you know. Good job, nice, <laughs> nice. He invested in an insurance company for remote teams. Very subtle. Yeah, yeah very subtle, very subtle. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, 
so this is kind of where you instantly end up with these kind of things. Like, okay, you have a global team. What could a global team need? Great. And then you have like communication tools. Like many of the people are uh, in different time zones. So maybe you need like something to accommodate for that. Or maybe everybody's in the same time zone. So better video chat, blah, blah, blah. And there is iterative improvements to be done there, definitely. You know, and especially when it comes to uh, global payroll and benefits, there's a billion dollar company there, period. Like the next, the, this is literally the Stripe opportunity for our generation. Uh, Stripe, when they started, you had local credit card providers with horrible rates, horrible infrastructure, really hard to integrate, and you need to almost work with every market separately, in a way. Or you go to like a really big provider where you are pretty much killed with complexity. And that's the same state as right now doing global payroll is in. So you either go to all these local uh, employee on record companies and like just go nuts, yeah. or you go with like somebody like ADP or somebody like that, uh, and I'm not making friends right now, but like it's a little bit more complex, let's say, for right. a small startup. And so it's like one of the big obvious opportunities, and there's multiple companies uh, trying to do that right now, some coming from a freelancing angle, some from an employment angle, blah, blah, blah. It's an obvious big one, right? There's benefits and all this kind of stuff, obvious big ones. The thing that how I think about remote is kind of, in general, every tool that's good for a remote team on the long run is good for any digital knowledge group work, right? So what's happening is there's a lot of companies that are trying to do tools for digital knowledge teams and are tackling remote as an early customer group. So basically, remote teams tend to have a little bit higher complexity needs. Yeah. I usually say like 5x. And so therefore, they need maybe all the tools that normally a company with like 30, 40 people would need. So the kind of start is a good target group to start with because they are willing to try out your tool, but they don't have like purchasing complexity or compliance complexity and all this kind of stuff. So it's very natural for a lot of tools right now. For example, if you do an HR tool, if you do a uh, recruiting tool, if you do like literally any SaaS B2B stuff, uh, future of work stuff, yeah. to target remote teams early on. And I think that's a super interesting category for me as an investor to kind of like, hey, you want to like tackle remote teams. Uh, my, in my fund, there's literally uh, 50, 60, maybe 70 people. I need to look at the number. Uh, who are have like all of them are either remote founders, operator, or early stage investors in a remote company, and that's kind of the wedge I'm trying to do here. But additionally to that, there's a lot of stuff that comes out out of the concept that you have highly skilled people globally. Yeah. And you can think of it like as geo arbitrage if you want. But the same way as you right now have the hospitals no longer doing the X-ray in the hospital, but like doing it somewhere else, you could apply this for a lot of industries. And you have uh, highly educated experts in multiple regions of the world. And yeah. you don't even need to like, go, for go there because of low prices, but just like you can do really, really interesting stuff. Like why is an architect in the same city as you? Right. You know, and all this kind of stuff. Like there's a lot of things that you could potentially leverage here in this space. Are there certain labor marketplaces you're most excited about? So uh, one thing that's super interesting is it's like right now really, really hard to get work experience in any, for example, startup. And unless you're actually based in San Francisco in this area, it's really, really hard to get in there. And I recently invested in a company that does 10 hours a week remote uh, work placements for students or anybody who's like early in their career with the idea that you join and you basically on the spot learn actual skills and build up your portfolio. And I think something like that can work for multiple areas. And that's mm -hmm. personally, in general, rethinking hiring is something I'm personally really bullish about because what we notice in especially San Francisco is as soon as it comes to global credentials, most recruiters break down. 
Yeah. Like very few recruiters know good universities, even in, in like like IIT, like even Indian like top name universities are right. barely known, right? Yeah. And so global credentials is something that's really hard, and especially in a lot of regions, people don't even have these university background maybe. So how can you actually evaluate them? And you can evaluate them by actually giving them real work. Yeah. So that's like one thing I'm personally. Yeah, let's talk more because Product Hunt was a team that you you, you mm -hmm. hired all the engineers and, and they were all fit this as like exact profile, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so that was the company you just mentioned is, is one approach. What, what are other approaches that are sort of uh, you know reinventing credentials or hiring in a way that you're excited about or think that people should take a look at? Mm -hmm. Who here is like really ambitious? <laughs> Okay, so I strongly believe that the future of private equity is remote work. And I know right now, like a lot of them try to be completely under the radar, but like I know companies like private equity funds that have like several thousand people remote and they buy startups that go well, but not necessarily like, you know, like the growth, done, the growth is done and they don't know what to do and the founders wanna get out. They buy those and basically replace everybody with remote work. And not necessarily like super cheap labor, they pay comparably really fair prices, but they have like an infinite supply of amazing people who have done this like multiple times and can just like, no matter where the company is they bought, just like go in, replace everything, build everything up and then scale it back up. And I strongly believe that private equity will be one of the like areas that will in the long run uh, leverage remote work very, very aggressively. I wouldn't be surprised if it's kind of becoming a cliche to work for a private equity fund if you're like a remote engineer. You also one thing you also mentioned previous uh, to this is um, IPOs. Mm -hmm. um, talk a bit about spoilers. that. <laughs> okay, um, so another like if you would ask me what are the really big trends in remote that I could see the next three years, number one would be private equity going remote. I I, I, I guess at least when you're focusing on tech kind of related companies, and the other one I could really see is Larger remote teams have a completely unfair advantage when it comes to acquihires. They can literally go, like GitHub for example, if they see an engineering team they really like, they could acquire them. They don't need to get them to move to San Francisco. They don't need to have like a complex integration whatsoever, right? They can literally hire them and like onboard them really, really quickly. They can hire products, uh, uh, buy products basically if they want to. So one thing that I could see is multiple founders intentionally going remote first or maybe fully remote to be very, very aggressive when it comes to going IPO. Basically build up, become a dominant player in your area and then like start buying everything up to balloon the company to go IPO, which is a very common thing if you were like, like in every other industry, if you're trying to go an IPO, you're kind of like trying to before get a lot of assets in so that you have like a little bit more to show. And I could imagine this in tech becoming very, very common to just say, you're buying up, like for example, you're doing a company that's related to continuous integration or like to testing quality insurance and you're literally buying everything up that your customer could need and buy all of them to basically say hey together we will make it like a really interesting IPO case or another like or maybe if you, even if you just like target um, uh, SDKs like I know um, people who built um, very specialized engineering products and uh, they are buying competitors like crazy to balloon this up, to then sell it for a shit ton of money or to go IPO. And that's, I think this will become almost like a cliche in the next few years that if you wanna do that kind of game, you do remote first. Yeah. What about, where does freelancers fall into that? What is sort of the intersect or overlap? Or, so, always, yeah, we always see a lot of companies that are targeting freelancers. Yeah, so there's like this 
common misconception that like like a few concepts that people put together with remote, like working from a beach, like this whole digital nomad thing, which in my opinion, it does more damage to the brand of remote work than it actually helps. Uh, freelance, like only working 20 hours a week, flexible work or whatever, right? This is not, like most remote workers I know are actually highly paid, are working in a highly professional setup, like either at their own place or like a dedicated office and have like the whole, whole space optimized for productivity. And in, in their case, like I know multiple people that, and this might become like a cliche for engineers, like if you're a senior engineer, why do you let somebody else decide how you're most productive? Because you know at what time of the day are you most productive, you know what you need to do during the day, you need to take a nap, you go to the gym, you need to play with your kids, whatever, right? And this is how you increase your productivity. So this is common in, for remote workers already, and I think this will be common for every engineer. And the, the interesting thing is like, especially with free, freelance, it's always like associated to it, because right now, most international remote work is kind of like illegal, gray zone, like you're hiring full-time people internationally as a freelancer, which is in almost every country a no-go. Uh, but nobody really cares yet because they're all small enough, you know? Yeah. Um, actual freelance, and there's like the whole category of like Upwork and so on and so on. Yep. What, I what I'm super bullish on is like work to hire. So Take basically, you, you basically get a freelancer. You, you, like, you, you have anything to do. You put a task that they should do. You give it to five people, the best person. You do this one project. If you like them, you hire them. Is this what Gigster was trying to do? A few of them tried it, yeah. yeah. And I, 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 this is what I would personally recommend every early stage founder to do because everything else is almost too slow and they anyway don't, aren't really good yet in evaluating people. They're good in evaluating like collaboration and like the outcome. So give them real work, uh, hire them as a freelancer for the start and then uh, transition them to full time. If you're an early stage entrepreneur, we'd love to hear from you. Please hit us up at villageglobal.vc slash network catalyst.